takes more, more than a hammer, more than a hammer and nails. Takes more than a hammer and nails to make a house a home. To make a house a home takes a firm foundation, built on faith and love. Whole lot of guidance from up above. Show your neighbor what a friend is for with an open heart and an open door. Takes more, more than a hammer and nails. Wow, wow. Good morning, church. What a great morning of worship. Huh? Just being in God's presence and man, fantastic, fantastic. You know, Jesus told a parable. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus told this parable in Matthew chapter 7. And he talked about a wise builder and a foolish builder. And Jesus said there was two builders, right? And we all want to be the wise builder, don't we? So he said there was this wise builder and a foolish builder. And, and the wise builder built his house on the rock. He said the foolish builder built his house in the sand. And Jesus said the, the winds and the rain and the storm, they came and they blew against both houses. Against both, right? He said, but the one on the rock stood. The one on the sand fell with a great crash. This morning we come to the conclusion of a really great series. We've been in this awesome series called House to Home. And what we're endeavoring to do is to build a home that will impact generations. But impact generations for the glory of God. That's what we all want for. It doesn't matter you know, where you live or where you grew up. What matters is this is our opportunity. This is now. Whether you live in an apartment or a townhome or a condo or a mansion or a cardboard box that we have the opportunity to make it a home that would glorify God, a home that would impact generations for Christ. Now we said in the very first week, we said in order to do that, you have to have the right foundation. Any building, if the foundation is off, the building's going to fall. It's just not going to work. You know, and you see that when Jesus talks about this. And so many people try to build their home on, on shifting sand. And they do. They try to build it on, on children or on money or success. And all those things are fine and all those things are good. But, but children grow up, right? And money's here today and gone tomorrow. Success is fleeting. And then Jesus says, build your home on the rock. The rock. And what is the rock? The confession of Christ. One day Jesus was out with his disciples. He was at Caesarea Philippi. And there were all these idols behind him. And, and Jesus looked at his disciples. He said, who do men say that I am? And they started going, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, you know. And, and he said, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? It's a question every one of us has to answer. What do you believe about Jesus? Who is Jesus Christ to you? And Peter stood up and he said, I believe that you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You're the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus said, you are right, Peter. And upon this rock, the confession of your faith, I will build my church in the gates of hell. The gates of hell will not stand against it. The rock is the confession of Christ in your home. That Christ is lifted up. That Christ is glorified. After the foundation is laid, we begin to put up the walls, right? And the walls are so important. And the walls define the, the purpose of the house. They, they show the square footage and what the priorities are in the house. The, the walls also bring protection to the house. And we said that sometimes there's cracks in the walls. And when the cracks come, we can either ignore the cracks, we can cover over the cracks, or we can step up and be the man or the woman of God that he's called us to be and deal with the cracks. And maybe you're here today and man, there's some cracks in your home. Maybe there's some struggles with roommates or maybe 
in your marriage or maybe with your kids. And instead of trying to cover over those, but to step into those in a godly way, maybe get help and go to counseling or whatever it takes and to come talk to a pastor and say, I want my home, I want my home to bring glory to God. And then last week we talked about putting on the roof, putting on the roof, this covering this covering of God's blessing, this covering of God's presence. And we looked at the priestly blessing found in Numbers chapter six. And we said that through Christ, that we are called then to be the spiritual leader of our home, that we're to bring the blessing and the presence of Christ into our home. Man, building a home that will glorify God. And today we come to the conclusion, the last part. It was fun this week, Laura Chapman, you know, our community group coordinator and our connections minister, she came up and she said, Jeff, what is it? I go, what do you mean, what is it? She goes, well, we've laid the foundation. We've put up the walls. We got the roof. What's the last one? And I go, what do you think? She goes, a door? And I go, no. She goes, a fireplace? No. A driveway? I go, no. She goes, what is it? I said, you got to come Sunday and find out, Laura. So, <laughs> Laura, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> so, if you have a Bible with you today, let's talk about the last one. Found in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. We're going to be at verse... 34. And this is awesome. I just believe God is here, God is present, and God has a word for all of us today. So if you don't have a Bible with you, maybe you've got a mobile device, you can access the scriptures online at Version, and we're going to unpack the word of God today. We're going to see the last and most important of what makes a house a home. So turn with me there, or we'll put the words on the screen for you to follow along. It says in Chapter 22, verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. Okay, now there were two groups of religious leaders back in this time, right? You had the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And, and these were the ones that were the biblical scholars, right? They had all this knowledge of the first five books of the Old Testament. That's called the Law, the Torah, the Pentateuch, right? You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And these guys, they had memorized it, man. They knew the rules. They knew what you were supposed to do. And Jesus was kind of outside the box. You know, they were like, Jesus trying to always pull him back in the box. And Jesus is going, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. There's a bigger deal happening here, guys. So the Sadducees and the Pharisees were these religious leaders. Now, you could tell them apart because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They believe like when you die, it's kind of like a candle being blown out, right? You know, game over and there's nothing that happens. That's why they were sad, you see. Okay, Sadducees. That's how, that's how you can remember it, right? They were sad. There was no resurrection. So the Sadducees and the Pharisees. So the Sadducees, they came up to Jesus and they were trying to trick Jesus. They were trying to give him this thing like there is no resurrection. Jesus is like, uh, wrong. There is a resurrection. In fact, later on, Jesus will say, I am the resurrection of the life, right? And so life would go on because of the grace that we receive in Christ. So he silenced the Sadducees. So the Pharisees all get together and they were trying to come to Jesus, kind of trick him. The Pharisees got together and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him. Notice that, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, if you know, there's 613 commandments in the law. 613. You can go through and read them. And, and I mean, God was telling his people how to live and hoping they would get it. But there's 613. Now, the problem was the Pharisees and the Sadducees made it all about the law. They made it all about the rules. They made it all about religion. And so they come to Jesus, hey, which is the most important of these 613? And Jesus replied, verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is known as the Shema. And this is it. He says, love, love God. And then Jesus couples it. He says, this is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. 
all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love. Jesus brings it all back and says, guys, it's about love. Love God, right? And love others. Love. You turn a house into a home by this one word. Love. Love. Love is what makes a house a home. And some of you, you know this, right? You grew up in a great home. You grew up in a home of love. And man, it was just awesome. Some of you, you longed for that. You didn't have it and you missed it. You knew there was something missing. I'll never forget a conversation I had with an orphan girl in Moldova. It's a girl who's now, man, her life has been transformed through our transitional living program and just watching her, your, your generosity makes a huge impact around the world that you don't even see many times. But just listening to her stories, she said, you know, Pastor Jeff, I grew up and my dad left when I, was a, when I was really young and my mom, she couldn't support us and she took me and my sisters to a train station to try to sell us, but she didn't have enough money. And she said she was so angry that she beat us and we were living under a bridge. I hadn't eaten in two weeks and I remember laying there as a young child and I remember just hoping and praying. I didn't even know God, but I was praying for just somebody to love me. All I wanted was somebody to love me. See, I didn't even know if there was a God, but I, I knew there had to be more than this. Some people in the village found out about them, they came and they took them and they put them in an orphanage and by God's grace, you know, she ended up in our transitional living program. She's come to know Jesus, she's living for the Lord, she's a leader now, I mean, it's just unbelievable what God's done in her life. But that statement has always got me, I just wanted somebody to love me. See, love is what makes a house a home. And here's what Jesus said, love God first, right? Love God first. So as you look at your home, wherever you live, right? Wherever you live, I mean, apartment, town, home, condo, it doesn't matter, wherever you live, as you look at your home, does your home focus on God? Does your home have a focus on God? Is there a love for God that radiates from your home, that makes it different from every other house on your street, that makes it different from every other apartment in your complex? Is there a focus on God? A lot of times we'll see pictures of homes in different parts of the world and we'll go to these different places on mission trips and in a lot of places in the world they have idols, right? You, you know, you've seen this, they have idols whether it's a Buddha statue or something and you walk in and man, that's kind of the focus of the home. All the chairs are set up and there's the Buddha statue or there's another statue or there's a picture of a world leader or there's something that everybody kind of focuses in on the home. And we always think that's strange and different until you walk into a lot of homes in America. And you look at kind of everything is positioned, and a lot of times maybe it's around a, a TV, right? And there's nothing wrong with sports or Doc McStuffins, right? I mean, you know, those things are fine, but you start to say, is this what the focus of our home should be? I mean, is it? I mean, you know, or it's a picture or something else. And you go, wait a minute, I want my home to radiate God. Is there a scripture verse? Is there a family Bible? Is there a place where we share together? Is there a place where we can talk about the things of God? Is there a way that our home brings glory to God? What is the focus of your home? What's the focus of your apartment? What is the focus? And then number two is what does your home communicate? What does your home communicate? You know, if you were to put a video camera in your home, now we have, you know, Big Brother, you can watch all these reality shows, right? You can see everything that happens in homes. And I often think, you know, if there was a video camera in our home, and I mean, I'm like, okay, that'd be different, you know, but would that be okay? What would our home communicate? What is the language that we use? What are the actions that we use? Is it a home that portrays the love of God? Is it a home that's different? 
that's different. I don't know if you ever watched this show, but there's a show on HGTV called uh, Fixer Upper. Anybody ever seen that? Isn't that a great show? It's awesome. I went to Baylor University, so this show takes place in Waco, which is really fun because I get to kind of see Waco being made over. Uh, and the two stars are this Chip and Joanna Gaines, and, and they're awesome. And I, I read an article recently about them, and Joanna said this. She said, I felt like God said to me, if you trust me with your dreams, I'll take you further than you could ever imagine. I love that statement, right? Man, maybe, maybe today you just need to hear that, right? God's saying, if you trust me with your dreams, if you trust me with your dreams, I'll take you further than you could ever imagine. Well, Chip, they were interviewing him and talking, and he said, listen, my primary concern is about building relationships and helping people rather than making money. You know, they lived in nine different homes in 10 years and you know, all these flipping these houses. But you know, throughout that process, Joanna and Chip have led small groups at their church over the years. Chip is known to establish relationships with people down on their luck, even inviting them to stay in their home. He said, we have the opportunity to serve and bless God and to love on people. And I'm always infinitely more fulfilled with those opportunities than I am with opportunities to make a great return on my investment from a business standpoint. Then he added, I always felt to some extent that my business is my ministry. That my business is my ministry, but you know what? Your home is your ministry. And we're all just tenants. I mean, let's be honest, right? I mean, you know, we're all just tenants in the home. Well, we didn't get the money. I mean, we didn't, why do we live here? Why in the world do we have the opportunities we have? Why in the world do we have what we have? God has blessed us. And then he says, I want you to use your home to glorify me. And so we start to look and we say, well, how can I do that? You know? I mean, maybe it is a place where we have family devotionals, devotionals, roommates. It's a place to host community groups. It's a place to have neighbors over to share the love of Christ. It's a place to, to bake and to take food to people who are in need. It's a place where God is glorified and he is our refuge and our strength. Psalm 127.1 says this, unless the Lord builds the house, its laborers labor in vain. Isn't that awesome? Unless the Lord builds the house, it's labor's labor in vain. See, you can spend all your time trying to get the right countertops in and you know, right doorknobs and right little fixtures and all that kind of stuff, but unless the Lord builds the house, it's labor's labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. <laughs> wow, I love that. Just the presence of God in your house the glory of God residing. Our home is gonna be a place where we love God. Jesus said, love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He said the second is like it, love others. Love others. And the way we love others radiates to a world the way Christ loves. That you and I have this call. In our home, it's a place of love. In our home, it's a place of refuge. Love. For the fact is this, God is love. It tells us that in, in 1 John. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. God, God is love. It's a lot easier to have a house of rules. I mean, and a lot of people do that, right? You know, you walk in the house and it's like, okay, you take your shoes off at the door, you know, or you can't put your feet on the furniture, or you, mean, you can't jump on the bed, you can't eat. And we have a lot of rules, and rules are fine. But at the end of the day, it's not about rules, right? But is your house more about rules or is it more about love? The difference is, the difference is rules are easy. Because rules, we got a checklist. 
And so we know I can keep the rules. I can keep the rules. I can do this. I can do this. But it also sets up this competition. And we're never good enough. And so Jesus came and said, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not about rules or religion. It's about love. And love is sometimes messy. Let's be honest. It's messy. Because love requires forgiveness. Love requires grace. Love requires mercy. So is there love in your home? Is there love in your home? Now when you look through the scripture, right, you start to see a godly love. We throw the word love around for a lot of things and we'll say, you know, I love my wife and I love pizza. You know, like, really? But, But when you look in the scripture, you find love, this godly love. And here's four things that I want you to know about love. Number one is this, is love is a choice. Love is a choice that you make. Love is a choice. Sometimes people come to my office for counseling and they're in a marriage crisis or things are hard. And one of them, maybe you'll say, you know what? I just don't love her anymore. Or I just don't love him anymore. And I just want to go, man up, all right? You're choosing not to love her anymore, right? You're choosing not to love Because it's a choice you make. Love is a choice. You choose to love or you choose not to love. And here's the thing about that. Here's the thing about that. If it's a choice, that means this. That means sometimes the feelings aren't always there. Right, we love those tingly feelings. We love when we're in love, right? We love all that, but, but sometimes the feelings aren't always there. But you can act your way and the feelings will follow. You start acting in love and I promise you, promise you, promise you this. The feelings will follow. You start praying for your spouse or you're praying for your roommate or you're praying for your children. The feelings follow. You start responding in love. You start, remember you used to write notes? Remember you used to send texts? Remember you used to send emails? You remember you used to bring flowers? You remember you used to do this kind of stuff? The feelings will follow. Love is a choice. Number one, love is a choice. Number two is this, love is a commitment. Love is a commitment you make. I've stood right here at this altar. I've stood in lots of other, I've done hundreds of weddings and I've watched as people make this commitment to one another till death do us part. Right? Until death do us part, we're making a commitment. It's a commitment that you make. And sometimes we forget that. And it becomes about the rules. It becomes about the things. That's what happened to this church in Ephesus. In the book of Revelation, there was this great church, church in Ephesus. And from the outside, everything looked great. I mean, they were keeping all the rules. They were doing lots of great things. Things were happening there. It was really great. But you know what had happened? Their heart had moved far from God. Their heart had moved from that commitment. And here's what Jesus says to them in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter two, verse four. Jesus said, yet I hold this against you. All these good things that you're doing from the outside. But you have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. He says, guys, remember when you were so in love with me? <laughs> you remember when you, you just wanted to pray? You remember when you couldn't wait to be in church? Remember when you just loved worship? You remember? Remember. And then he says, repent. Right? You're going one way and you turn back another. That's repentance. Right? I'm going one way maybe in my marriage. I'm going one way with my kids. I'm going one way with my relationship with God. And then God calls me, stirs my heart. I repent. I turn back. And then he says, do what you did at first. What'd you do when you were first in love with God? What'd you do when you were first in love with your bride? What'd you do when you were first so excited about your kids? What did you do at first? Remember that, Jesus says, and come back to that because it's a commitment. It's the long term. It's built to last. It impacts generations. The third thing about love is this, is love is 
Biblically, it's unconditional. <laughs> it's just unconditional. So, so many times, you know, the following the rules, it's conditional, right? You do this and then I'll respond. You know, you do this and then, it's all conditional. But biblical love, godly love, agape love is unconditional. I remember our first child, Grace, and I remember one night, I'll never forget this, I'm sitting on the couch and I'm holding this newborn baby, trying to feed her a bottle at like three in the morning and I'm so tired and, and you know, she's just not cooperating, you know, like I want her to. And, and yet I just stopped, right? I put the bottle down and I looked in her eyes and I just thought, wow, wow. And I remember tears coming to my eyes and thinking, you know what, I love you so much and there's nothing you can do for me. I mean, you know, you're not following the rules, girl. I mean, you're not sleeping when you're supposed to sleep and you're not, you know, pooping when you're supposed to poop. I mean, you're not, you're not doing anything I want you to do, but you know what? I would give my life for you. And I think I got a little glimpse of God's love then. And I went, whoa, wow. It's this unconditional. And oh, if that were in our home, right? This unconditional love. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is there's a story about a family, and there was dysfunction in this family, like, I mean, all of us, none, none of us have perfect families. There was a perfect dad in this story that Jesus told, but his younger son comes to him one day and he said, Dad, I'm tired of living here. I don't like you. In fact, Dad, I wish you were dead. Just the disrespect, the rebellion. He said, I want my money, I want my inheritance, and I want it now, and I'm out. And what has always baffled me is how God, or this father, gave him the money. Okay, you choose. And he takes it off and he goes and he spends it in wild living, you know, Jesus says. He's living it up. And while he's got the money, everything's, you know, great. I mean, he's a rock star. Everybody wants to be around him. He's buying all the drinks. He's the big man on campus, right? Until the money runs out. When the money runs out, he finds himself in a pig pen feeding pigs, longing to eat what they were eating. And I love this statement in the Bible. It says, and he came to his senses. And he came to his senses. The power of the Holy Spirit just speaking. He came to his senses. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. My dad's home is different. There's love there. There's grace there. Maybe he'll receive me back. <laughs> regardless of what you've done. Regardless of where you've been. And he starts the long journey home. And I love how Jesus kind of paints the picture of this dad every day pacing the front porch, just looking out. When's he coming back? When's he coming home? And this dad who sees a glimpse of his son coming down the road and he runs to him. He runs to him. And he throws his arms around him. He starts to kiss him. And the, and the kid pushes him back and says, no, 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 dad, you don't, don't, don't understand. Listen, I don't deserve any of this. And he's just like, what do you mean? You didn't do anything to earn being my son. You can't do anything to lose being my son. You're my son, and I love you. Put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet. You are mine, and that kind of love, wow. But the story doesn't end there, right? They go back home, and the dad says, hey, kill the fatted calf, let's have a huge party. The older brother is out doing the rules, doing the thing trying to be good, but you know, his heart had moved far from the father as well. He had made it about rules and all the things you're supposed to do on the outside. And he gets angry. Why in the world are they having a party? You know what he did? 
He took the family money. He blew it. I'm not going in. I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm not offering forgiveness. I'm not offering grace. And notice in the story that the dad comes to him as well. And the dad walks outside and says, you, you've always been there. And I love you, but this brother of yours, this family, man, this family, this brother of yours, he's dead and he's alive again. He's lost, he's found. Come on, you've got to celebrate. Don't let your heart grow hard to the people around you. Love is unconditional. It's unconditional. And the fourth thing we see is this, is love must be expressed. It must be expressed. In 1 John, it tells us this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us love with words or tongue, not with words or tongue, but with actions, with actions, with actions and in truth. We've got to love. We've got to love. It's got to be expressed. It's not just something you hold back. My wife, she grew up in a home where, you know, her dad never really said, I love you. It was kind of part of that older generation. It wasn't something you said. And, and my wife's just like, I miss that. I just wanted to hear him say it, you know. Those words, I love you, they're not implied. I mean, they've got to be said. They've got to be said. I tell my girls every day, I love you, I love you, you know. And to the point now, I'll just go, hey, Mabry, you know what? And she'll say, what? And I'll go, I, and she goes, love me. And I'll go, yeah, I love you. Yeah, I just love you. I, I want them to know that, but you've got to express that. How have you expressed love to your family recently? How have you, have you done that? How have you done something just extravagant? crazy just to say, guys, our home, it's a home of love. It's a home of grace. Now, I know life gets busy. I know it gets hard. We're trying to keep up. We're trying to keep up with schedules. We're trying to do the outside and keep everything going. But sometimes we can miss it. About two and a half years ago, my parents moved from San Antonio, Texas to Nashville. And that was a big deal because they had lived in the same house for 40 years. 40 years, okay? It's the house I grew up in. And so we were sitting at Thanksgiving before they were planning to move in the spring and we were having this conversation about them moving to Nashville and my sister and brother-in-law are in Birmingham and how they'll be closer to the grandkids and, and they were excited about it. And then they started talking about it. They go, well, we don't know what to do with all of our stuff. And they looked at us and they said, Jeff, you know, Lisa, we have all these great things. Do you want it? And Lisa and I are looking at each other going, you know, we don't have a huge house. I mean, you know, I don't know where to put it. Well, sorry, you know, you got this huge, you know, cabinets and all these, you know, things there and... And they looked at my sister and brother-in-law and they said, well, what about you guys? What do you, you want all this furniture and all this? And they were like, uh, we're okay, you know, we're, we kind of got our house and we're, we're good. And then my brother-in-law, and only a brother-in-law could say this, right? My brother-in-law pipes up and he says, well, here's what we'll do. We'll just rent a dumpster, we'll pull it in the driveway, and in one day, we'll just take care of it all, right? And I'm like, oh, this is going <laughs> Only a brother-in-law can say that, right? My parents are just looking at it like, what in the world? We've collected all this for 40 years, you know? It was crazy. But it started me to think, you know what? We put so much time and energy into all that. And it's fine. I mean, great. You want to have a nice-looking house. You want to have things. But when I look back on where I grew up, it's not the stuff. I don't remember where things were. You know what I remember? It's the memories, right? It's the laughter. It's the meals. It's, it's the love. 
It's the relationships, it's having people over, it's, it's all everybody being in there and telling stories and it's reading our Bible together, it's praying together. It, that's what it is. It's the love, it's the love. Is your home a place of love, a place where love abounds? My youngest daughter, Kate, she's six. And about two years ago, we went uh, to the beach on vacation and we, we had a great time at the beach and we came home and you know, we had this you know, eight hour drive, we're coming back, we're pulling the driveway, we, we're taking all the stuff inside of our house. And we're you know, lugging you know, suitcases and we travel with kids and I've got three, right? There's a tons of stuff. And so we're pulling all this stuff in and Kate had fallen asleep and then she comes in the door, she's got her little backpack on her and she walks in and she sets her backpack down inside of her home and she starts to do this. She goes, home, my favorite place. And then she starts to dance around, home, my favorite place. And I just, we just all started cracking up. We're just laughing and she's dancing and I'm thinking, why did I spend all that money to go to the beach? You know? I mean, I could have stayed right here. I mean, here we are. But you know what I thought? I thought, that's great. I love that she loves to be home. And we're not perfect parents by any stretch, but I love, I love, I love that she wants to be home. You know what we did? We, we, we took that phrase, home, my favorite place, and we put it on a big board, right? And we just put Kate Simmons, age four, home, my favorite place. And it hangs in our living room. In fact, if you come to our house, it's just kind of hanging right there in our living room for everyone to see just this home. And it's gonna fall, it's not gonna work, but it was a great idea. There it goes. Home, my favorite place. And man, would that be the heartbeat of our kids? Would that be the heartbeat of our grandkids? Would that be the heartbeat of our great, great grandkids? There was something different about that home. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. You know, he says, I want to show you the most excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a, a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, he says, if you have everything right on the outside, but you don't have love on the inside, you missed it. He said, hey, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. You can win yard of the year, right? 10 years in a row. You can be decorated by Pottery Barn, but listen, if you have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Is your home patient? Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. Is your home rude? It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Are the record of wrongs kept in your home? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Why? Because love, love never fails. It's built on the rock, the rock, the rock of Christ. A couple of months ago, my wife Lisa posted this on Facebook. She said, Grace, who's our 11-year-old daughter, she said, Grace and I were watching HGTV show on demand. She said, Mom, let's don't fast forward through the commercials so that we can talk during those. I said, okay, what do you wanna talk about? And she smiles at me and asks, Mom, why do you wear makeup? I came up with some answer and she said, I don't think you need it. 
I think you're beautiful without it. You're beautiful, mom. Lisa writes, I couldn't even respond. I'm sitting there thinking, who in this conversation is the parent? (laughs) I mean, this is something I thought I would be saying to my daughter one day, not something she would say to me. And I'm also thinking, I don't feel beautiful, but my daughter sees me that way. How many of us moms out there feeling not so great about ourselves when our children see us as beautiful? Man, I love her and I'm humbled by her words. And one of our friends responded to her post and just said this, love makes all things beautiful. Love makes all things beautiful. You know what, that's true. Love makes all things beautiful. And the Bible says, for God so loved you. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, love makes a cross. (laughs) The most horrible way to die. Love makes a cross beautiful. And this morning we have the incredible privilege to come and to come to his table to celebrate the greatest act of love that our world has ever seen. No greater love is any man than this than he would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus laid down his life for you and for you, and for you, and for you, and for you, and for me. And so this morning, I wanna invite you to his table. It doesn't matter what your faith background is. What matters is if you're a follower of Christ. I'm gonna ask some of our A6 leaders and some of the men and women of our church, some spiritual leaders, if they'll just move to the tables to be there to serve you. But I'm going to invite you to come to the table and just as Jesus did with his disciples, to take a piece of the bread, his body broken for you. Think about that, his body broken for you. And to dip into the cup, his blood poured out for you. And to receive the gift that only God can give. This This is a time of worship. Maybe you're here today with some friends or roommates and maybe you want to take communion together maybe you want to pray together maybe you're here with your spouse or with your children maybe today it's just hey let's pray together let's pray that our home be a home where God is glorified where Jesus is lifted high a home that impacts generations for the glory of his name it doesn't matter what's happened in the past listen the past is the past you learn from the past but today you go forward in Christ and what home what home are you going to make as you go forward you choose so what are you going to choose today so father here we are your disciples God we are hungry for you we are hungry father to live in a home of love and of grace and God we know it's not perfect God, we've all fallen, we've all made mistakes, but God, we have a new start in you and a new opportunity in Christ. I pray today that salvation would come. I pray if there's somebody here today who's never yielded their life, that today they would understand the depth of your love and that they would know that they are beautiful in your sight. I pray today, Father, that we are all redeemed and restored by your grace and that we come and we live our lives for you. So as we come to your table today, Father, to receive what only you can give, I pray that our hearts are filled with love, a love for God, and a love that will fill our home. 
And it's in the name, the beautiful name of Jesus that we pray and we come right now. Amen. You're invited to come to his table.